Investing in your business can be a wonderful way to grow wealth and live the life you want. That's what I'm doing. But investing in someone else's business can be even better. In my opinion, this is the best way to generate true passive income streams. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including the Global Cashflow Kings ETF, ticker symbol CFLO, which lets you invest in 200 companies with high levels of free cash flow, such as Visa and Costco, in one ETF. You can learn more about CFLO and the BetaShares fund range by visiting betashares.com.au. Read the PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Welcome to the Australian Business Podcast. I'm Daniel Golubev. I'm Jordan Kittis. I'm Owen Rask. We're here to help you make more profit, find work-life balance, save time, capital, and grow your business. Every week, we drop the best tax tips, marketing hacks, growth strategies, and methods to help you grow. If you haven't already, take the free Rask Business course. Book a chat with me or Daniel at Grayspace. Or get in contact with us about business coaching. We also love hearing from you. So send us your questions and feedback using the resources found in the podcast player for each episode. Let's get into it. Jordan, Daniel, how are you going? Thank you. Good. How are you? Good. I thought you said thank you to start off with. I did. I don't know why. I said <laughs> Jordan, thank you. <laughs> that is my name. Oh, well, we, far out. Well, we do rec- we do record on a Friday uh, afternoon, so it's fair enough that we'd all be pretty exhausted from the week. Um, you guys were just telling me that uh, today is the twenty seventh of October, which means that. Uh, Tomorrow is the deadline. Is it right? Deadline for super? That's Get correct. Super paid. Yeah. So what does that mean? They'll come. As if you're doing it through Zero Clearinghouse now, you're already a bit late. But um, because they do, they do ask you to to do it a couple of days in advance. Actually, um, yeah, that's what I did this morning. So just so you know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> live. <laughs> Thanks. But I did actually. Yeah, I did that. Did do that this morning, and uh, it does take a few days to process superannuation payments mm. through zero, doesn't it? I actually yeah. did. I was about to tell you guys, I made a mistake. Um, previously, before the super guarantee for employees started going up, I set the the rate at which we would get super at risk above the minimum. But because it now it's crept up above that, I set that as a manual entry in zero, and so it didn't adjust. So now I had to backdate a bunch of superannuation payments, um, which is why I was doing it today because I had to calculate everything. Um, I, I, I had to backdate a bunch of superannuation payments and adjust for any like market fluctuations like they would have had in their superannuation account, which was just... Mm-hmm. Luckily, it was only like 0.5% or something. But um, yeah, it's easy to see how it can go wrong really easily. Um, and now I just set like the default rate. I'm just bugger. Yeah. And it builds up. If you people don't pay it, it builds up very quickly and it can become a serious cash flow problem and it's highly illegal. Yes. <laughs> On top of more importantly, cash flow problems. <laughs> and then beyond that as well, you are personally liable as a director for it as well. So if you oh, think really? you're covered by, you know, that limited liability within a within a company, you're dreaming because they will come for you. They'll issue mm-hmm. issue you a director penalty notice and you will be personally liable for, for unpaid super. Okay. Here's a question for you then, Daniel. What about if the director of one of these companies was a non-executive director? So someone that's not involved in the business day-to-day, like would it still have the same recourse? I don't know. Well, if he's still getting paid like a, a salary and part of that salary package is superannuation, then yeah, it still counts. 
Yeah, right. Interesting. Um, what's good to know? Just turned away from the camera. Yeah, I'm just going to turn this live off. <laughs> Cancel it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it, where you've got to be, um, you just got to know what you are and aren't liable for. And like you said, Jordan, the cash flow, g'day, uh, trough, yeah, on uh, YouTube, g'day, g'day. Um, you can ask any questions or make a comment uh, here on YouTube if you are watching live. This goes live on, well, goes out on the Australian Business Podcast every Sunday, but we just record live because why not? Um, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> Talk about late super payments. Um, oh, <laughs> mistakes made. Um, but it, there's so many things to think about on this front, right? Because if you, and you brought this up a few weeks ago, Daniel, when you pay someone's wage through zero or through whatever, you think, okay, like, you know, brush off your hands, you're done. That's your work done. But you've still then got PAYG. You've still got like work cover, like compensation, all that sort of stuff. And then you've still got um, the superannuation. So there's like all of these different cash flow items that you've got to f fix up after the fact and you don't realize. The hard part is because they come in, you know, in frequencies and they're usually large. It's not like you're paying like $100 towards someone's super every week. It's like, okay, here we go. Here's $5,000 at end of this quarter for all your employees at once so unless yeah. you're factoring it in as a small business sometimes you can't just find five thousand dollars just sitting around ready to pay super and that's i think the the problem with a lot of businesses they get stuck mm. they sort of don't account for it don't move it into that separate call it you know employee liabilities bank account and then all of a sudden, bass time comes around. They've got pay to go withholding to front, and then super as well on top of that. Mm. It can get hard. We see it. We see it get hard, and it doesn't. It's not always from a, coming from a bad place either. It's just sometimes it's just the money's not there. It's been spent. Has mm. been budgeted properly. Um, there's mm. not always ill intent in sort of not paying it. Mm. Yeah. So if if the super's due on the twenty eighth of the following month. Mm -hmm. Um, when should people start the transfer inside zero? Like roughly, what's your rule of thumb for people? I'd say within the first two weeks. Right. Of the, of the quarter ending. Yeah. That's generally, you should have the money ready to go by then. If you've planned accordingly, the funds should be ready to go. And that time frame's there to give business owners and advisors and accountants to time to process as well hmm. marco's just put a comment in the chat welcome back marco technically super payments need to reach the employee's bank account by the 28th not making the payment on that day yeah yes but yeah ato super clearinghouse clears the same day as you pay if paid by bank deadline clearinghouses take five to ten days especially if they direct debit yeah that's the thing like the zero thing it would still be like you can have the money sitting in your account but it can It'll still be there in a few days. And then also yeah, just to clarify what Marco's saying as well. So the ATO actually have their own small business super clearinghouse function. So saying if you do it on the ATO system, it'll work mm. more or less straight away. But if you do it via a third-party clearinghouse, there's generally a time frame because you've got to remember that it's not going directly to the account. It's going through mm. you know, a process to get there. And you spot on 28th is when the money should be hitting the account, not processing. Mm. So you've got, it, sorry, Jordan. It, yeah, even on that, what we've started to see clients do is um, when they're doing their, if they're doing their own pay runs, sometimes they'll process the super like fortnightly. 
like as they're doing pay runs. I've got a couple of clients now that are doing that to try and stay on top of that cash flow function so they don't have to keep transferring money out um, every week or whenever it may be. So it's just important to find something that works for, for you personally. And CBUS actually, so CBUS, is, which is the industry super fund for the building construction industry, they actually ask you for monthly payments. Mm. They actually request, I'll send you a reminder saying, oh, you haven't paid your monthly super contribution. So out of the quarter, if you're following their schedule, you're always going to be on time for two months at a time, regardless of what happens. Mm. So there's other sort of measures in place that are sort of trying to help business owners with that as well, which is what Jordan was saying is increasing the frequency and reducing the amount that you have to pay. I think we talked about this previously on the show that eventually we'll probably get to a point where people are even paid their wages every week or every day or some sort of craziness like this where you might even get tax and things happening instantly as well, right? It would make I sense. Think, I think they're moving towards um, having the pays go withholding and the super paid on pay runs. So when an employee gets paid their net pay, the authorities get paid and the super funds get paid during the same process. So at all times, businesses are copying the full gross impact. I think that the time frame of that happening is still probably many years away, I'd say, but I think we are moving towards that. Which mm. is uh, probably a, a good thing for everyone involved. Um, okay, so this, the, the title of this uh, live today and the podcast this weekend is Three Ways Businesses uh, Die. Uh, we did an episode probably about I don't know, months ago now and one of the most popular episodes and it corresponds to a lesson in the free course that we've got. You can use the link in your podcast player. Uh, you can get the course for free. You can go and check that out. Um, but basically in there, uh, we outlined that most businesses, well, not most businesses, over 40% of businesses never make it to their fifth birthday. And this is coming from some government data that I sourced a little while ago. But the top three reasons that businesses fail, and not to take anything out of your mouths, guys, the first one is poor management and or no planning. So a quarter of businesses say that they fail because of that. 17% say that they fail because they didn't do enough market research and had the appropriate sales and marketing for based on that. And the third reason, third most common reason businesses fail is a failure to understand finance, including relying on someone else. Um, so like their accountant, but they also capture funding in that. So I guess it's like cash flow, basically, and not understanding cash flow. So hopefully by listening to this podcast, uh, you understand a bit more about that. But curious guys, we've got one each. Um, who wants to go first for a reason that you commonly see businesses fail or you think businesses would fail because of this. Maybe yeah, I'm happy to kick off. Um, you got the most blatant one. You took my one, got in yeah. first. <laughs> <laughs> standard standard um, accounting response here. <laughs> okay, um, go for it. Uh, taking money out of the business and, and not leaving any like retained earnings or profits in there to f make further investment decisions. So money comes in, you pay pay the, the direct costs, so any cost of materials or cost of delivering the service, and then you take the money out. Um, if if you're doing that, you're leaving no room for investment, whether it's marketing, sales, or anything. Um, that can, one, cause serious cash flow issues, and two, cause big tax problems as well. But back on what we are talking about at the start, being super, um, if you're taking all the money out after, you know, as soon as it gets in, there's no money to pay your BAS being the GST, company tax, uh, tax on wages, and, and anything else that comes up. So it's something that does happen, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of the main reasons that people get into some serious debt problems with the ATO. 
um, and, and mm. any other types of finance as well because they're just not leaving money in there. It comes in, goes straight out and causes big director loan problems as well if it's a company structure. As in like directors pulling money out and not treating it as a dividend or wage? Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they have to what pay it, pay it back? Or... Yeah, if it's not secured over the seven years. Um, and look, even though they're accounting entries, they still do squeeze cash flow mm. what, because it's just causing you, bigger tax problems. You just made a, a comment there. I don't know what that means unless it's not secured over seven years. What do you mean by that? Mm. So you can secure you can secure it against the director's loan against a property, and it, then you can pay the dividend over 25 years. So declare that dividend in your tax return over 25 years. Um, there's, there's, a bit, there's a few more things you have to do in order to, to do that instead of paying it traditionally over seven. Can you give me, wait, can you give me an example of that? Like what would, how does this happen? So a good example is probably when someone buys a property, right? Let's say you've got a bunch of money sitting in a company, more or less retained earnings. Um, and you would have to otherwise, you know, take it out, pay dividend, pay tax, then buy the property or use it as funds for the property, um, call it after tax. This provision, what it allows you to do, it's almost like the company's loaning the funds on like a second mortgage against the property. So then only after 25 years, the minimum repayments that you calculate that's your dividend over 25 years. So you're still paying it down and you're still declaring that dividend. It's just over a longer period of time, but it has to be secured against a, like a, a long-term asset being property is probably the only real one that uh, applies in most cases. Yeah. But that's, that's probably the, the only example where this works successfully. Okay. Yeah. And so that's assuming it's a company structure. Um, and again, every scenario is different. Um, we the way we usually structure these is if there's a holding company, so you you separate the uh, retained earnings and get it out of the trading entity, so that way there's there's no risk against it. But we can do a whole episode of that, or maybe, maybe ten I'm hours gonna... of boring I'm division not... seven. <laughs> no, 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 this is not boring. So I want to ask a hypothetical. Let's say I've got a hundred thousand dollars sitting mm -hmm. in my company. I'm a director of the company, yeah, and I want to go and buy a property. So normally if I just yank that money out, I would have to pay tax or like I have to declare it as a dividend, mm -hmm. which is probably have to be equitable to all shareholders as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to pay tax uh, on that. And then whatever I've got left over, I can use as a deposit on that property, right? Correct. So that would be, that's the first simple option. Mm -hmm. But there's another way where I take that full $100,000 out mm -hmm. and I put that down as a down payment or deposit on a property. Mm -hmm. And then the ATO treats that hundred thousand dollars as if it was if it was a dividend paid to me, but I can split it up over twenty five years. Well, no, because it sh it'll show up on your balance sheet, and okay. then we record what's called a minimum repayment because you are charged interest. You do pay tax on interest in that component, so you sort of an interest income line item appears on your financial statements, and you've got to pay tax on that. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, especially if it's an investment property, it's a really good strategy because that interest becomes deductible on the other side. So both sides. Yeah. Well, you get interest income on one side and interest expense on the other side, mm. which is the entity that purchases the investment property. But it has to be investment in nature. It can't be primary place of sort of residence. Yeah. But you still, so there is like a small tax repercussion there anyway. And that minimum repayment that data gives a calculation for, there's a calculator directly on the website, that still needs to be declared as a dividend for the next 25 years. Ah. Uh. Okay. Right, so you, you're still paying tax on it. It's just spread out over a longer period of time rather than like the traditional notion of 
in year one. Yeah. Because if you spread it out, there might be, you know, $20,000 sort of increments. And that might not take you into the top marginal tax rate sometimes. Mm. Whereas probably taking a director's fee and a hundred thousand dividend, mm. it'll definitely take you into the top marginal tax bracket. So from a tax perspective, it does still favor you to be able to do it over a longer period of time. So basically, it, sorry, go on. It's specific, like you gotta be able to sort of plan into doing that and make sure you talk to an advisor or talk to your accountant saying, this is my plan. I've got a hundred thousand dollars. I've paid all my business debt, super's all paid, your taxes are paid, you've got retained earnings, hundred grand sitting in it like a business savings account, call it, and you want to put it into a property. Tell them before you do it. <laughs> Don't tell your accountant, hey, I've just taken a hundred thousand dollars out of the company, put it down as a deposit and a signed contract. Oh, can you get can you refer me to a broker for a pre-approval? That is Double whammy with that. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think it is specific and that ruling does need to apply to you. So, but it, but it is possible, yeah. It, it's com That's probably the most common use. Hmm. Um, so everyone listening to this that has a company structure should reach out to Daniel and Jordan at Grace Space Advisory. Link is in the show notes because if you're going to buy a property, this sounds like a very interesting way to use your capital. Um, I had it. I don't even know how I didn't know about this. This is incredible. I didn't. That's okay. Um, thank you guys. And like I said, Jordan, <laughs> structuring um, is really interesting in terms of your ability to have a separate holding company to separate, um, put distance between you and that other dividend. That's kind of cool. I like it. Uh, we could do an episode in the future. People that are listening that have a company are just like, what the hell yeah. did I just hear? <laughs> Well, it, um, can, it can sound a bit complex when it's not applied to your like to your situation. I think the easiest way to sometimes apply, especially legislation or tax rules, is when to apply it to you personally. Mm. Generally, the understanding is far greater at that point in time when it relates to you. Mm. Cool. Like it. Uh, that was a hell of a can of a worms that we opened there, Jordan. Thank you for that, mate. <laughs> Remind us of what your uh, lesson was again, taking too much money out. Was it something like that? Yeah, taking too much money out of your business. <laughs> so we just discussed how it can be good, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's going to turn that one on his head. So now everyone's going to go and take money out of their business. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, men come to us saying, you told us to. You you to <laughs> yeah, legal disclaimer. It was Daniel. <laughs> so, Daniel, what's yours then, mate? Um, it's probably another, you hear it a lot. It's you need to spend money to make money, right? Oh, yeah, that classic. The, the, the classic rules. Um, and I think what we see a lot is people just spending money for the sake of spending money sometimes. I'm going to go buy this expensive car because I've got excess funds and I don't want to pay tax. Meanwhile, they bought an SUV or, or a sedan, nice V8 fun car, not really understanding where it is because it's going to make them look more pro, more like prolific, trying to attract bigger, um, call it clients or connections. Um, in a lot of the cases, it doesn't really happen, mm. to be very honest, or have exuberant Christmas parties to impress contacts when you've got other debts to pay or you're going into marketing plans with no real guided you know strategy you're not really checking on anything you're spending call it ten thousand dollars a month on something that isn't ever bringing in results so i think it's sort of that concept oh, i've just got to spend it it'll come back it'll come back 
that sort of mm. that mentality has probably killed a lot of businesses. Yeah. Well, I know it has, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, you've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to the graveyard. I know. Yes. I've seen yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, stones. Yeah, that's it. I can imagine though, right? It's, it amazes me how some businesses, not all businesses, of course, but some business owners do just think, oh, I'll just go and do that thing. And you it's tax deductible, well, like it's yeah. free. That's yeah. the big <laughs> And it's like, it's almost like, it's like that mental accounting thing, which is a behavioral bias where it's like not your money. It's like from a different source or mm. something like this. Like it's from the company's bank account. Therefore you can spend it. I must admit, like I've been guilty of that at times, like where I'm like, we'll take the team for dinner and we'll go to like a nice place. Um, and you're like, okay, it's expensive. I wouldn't have done that. Definitely wouldn't have done this with my own money, but because it's the company, it's for the team, I'll do it. So I'm definitely guilty of that. Um, fair to say. So that's a good one. I like that. How often do you do it? Every night. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the key as well. Sort of like look, looking at it as like a, from like a percentage spend as well. Yeah. Like, is it there to be spent? You know, if it is, team morale is really important. Everyone knows that. You know, making sure your staff are, feel grateful, appreciated. Like you need to factor that in. But I don't think you went and hired a boat on Sydney Harbour and New Year's Eve to take your no. staff out. No. No. It's different. No. Yeah. <laughs> anyone listening, take your staff out every single night to a nice restaurant. Good for cash flow, so. good for business. <laughs> yeah. We're giving you all the reasons that you should go and kill your business right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, my one is very boring and it was kind of covered by the the, the government's own statistics, which is a, just a, a plan to fail. Is a, a, a failure to plan is a plan to fail, um, as they say. <laughs> and um, every night, what a bro boss is trough. Yeah, it's not every night. Are you taking applications for employees, Owen? Like, <laughs> if you're funding everyone's dinner every night, I'm applying. <laughs> I, I did cop some a bit of criticism because we did go out for a nice dinner the other night, but Mel, as you know, um, you know, Mel, uh, she finished up with Rask the other day. And so we went out for a nice dinner uh, to say thank you. But yeah, I mean, we don't always go out and do that sort of stuff. Um, other than when we're in Perth at that, what was that place called? The QT there, they had that, mm. those steaks. They were delicious, but they were very expensive. Mm, very nice. Um, yeah, we saw the menu. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Owen. Weren't expensive for us. <laughs> anyway, I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's certain things that make, um, the wheels turn a bit quicker and there are certain things that don't. But, yeah, anyway, a, fail a failure to plan um, I think is really, really uh, important. Like a lot of people kind of find themselves just like falling into the next iteration of that business. Like it's like, oh, okay, I'll just go get an ABM because I want to do some contracting. Oh, I heard from such and such that maybe I should have an, a company now, so I'll go and do that. Or maybe I should start that trust thing and I'll go and get that thing. Or maybe we'll do this marketing strategy because someone did it over there. And a lot of those business owners I find go to those like business conferences where they hear a big idea up on stage and then they're like, oh, I'll just do that for my business. When really you don't even have a, a framework to begin with. And um, I, to be honest, that's one thing that I hope people would get from the course is kind of like the free course. It's just a bit of an understanding about that. Um, and it doesn't have to be complicated. Like it really doesn't have to be complicated. Like we had a good chat the other day, Jordan, with Alexander. Mm. Um and just hearing how he was thinking about his um, landscaping lawnmower business was fantastic because we got a sense of how deep he had researched who's good in the market, what are they doing, where am I at now financially, where can I be in a year? Like just very simple, like start with that North Star, I'd say, and then work backwards. Um, so true. And yeah. you can tell just, just on that call, like it wasn't just 
an idea. Oh yeah, I'll try that. I'll try that. He really went in depth and researched an idea before he deployed his capital or more importantly, his time into, into doing something. So mm. yeah, I agree. It's important to spend that time and, and, and research things, especially now, like the age we're in now where information is so readily available. So, like there's so much out there on YouTube. I, I'm a, I love spending time on YouTube and, and learning new things. And there's so much out there for, for free as well. Mm. Like, um, I think, we had Nick Crocker on the show a while ago and he basically said that like the hardest part of running a successful business and scaling up is you just have to start to say no more often. No, no, no. Um, I think we've all been guilty. I'm saying this for myself. It feels like a cathartic session that we're in right now where I'm just like confessing all my sins to you too. But, uh, um, but basically you go in um, and you think, yeah, I can do that in the early days. Like, yeah, I'll give that a crack. Or yeah, I'll take on that job in Alexander's case. But then as time goes on, you want to master the craft of saying no and pursuing the things that really make a difference to turn the wheel. Pursue them with conviction, but say no to most things. Um, I think that's that's a part of having a plan because you know where you're going. Sure, it should change at certain points, but um, knowing uh, when to say yes and no is the key distinction there. Okay, so we've covered, we've covered three things, taking too much money out. Uh, I've got a failure to plan. Daniel, what was yours? Um, I had, um, <clears throat> you got to spend it money is. to make money and doing it the wrong way. Yeah, like it. Um, okay, so there was uh, a couple of questions sent in advance. Um, uh, Marco, who looks like maybe, maybe it's the same Marco in the chat. Maybe it's Marco in the chat. Um, we've got your message um, about chatting to business owners. So thank you for sending that through. You can send your feedback or questions through to the Australian Business Podcast by following the link in your show notes. But there was one question that I wanted to single out, guys, which was um, just in the interest of time, this calculator klutz has sent in a question and it talked about something called Audit Shield. So they yep. said, Audit Shield, what is it? And is it something a small business owner should have? Now, I gave this a quick Google and I realized kind of what it was, but maybe one of you can explain what it is and do you need this type of thing? Yep. Um, audit Shield essentially covers you from memory. It's just for accounting fees if you were to get audited um, for whatever reason. Uh, in, in terms of small businesses, I, I don't know if it's, look, I don't, I don't want to say yes or no for insurance, but like if you did want to go with it, I guess stay on, look, not if you wanted to go with it, but like if you're on top of your tax obligations, if you're on top of your super, if you're on time with lodging everything and you pay everything on time, you're running a profitable business, shouldn't get audited shouldn't need audit insurance um but i guess on the other hand if you're always behind if you're pushing boundaries where you shouldn't be then maybe get audit shield um it, it's there is a bit of insurance again i'm pretty sure it's just for accounting fees so it won't cover you for any penalties or interest or back charges of gst and income tax um so it's not a silver bullet to fix everything if you're as dodgy as they come yeah, yeah, okay. So, so audit shield is basically like insurance in case you get, your business gets audited and there's a lot of cost associated with that, like for accountants to go through your accounts and your zero file and your bank statements and all that sort of stuff. It covers you for that. Yeah, right. So it's the type of thing you should really read the T's and C's and that sort of stuff. And um, just as a maybe a pulse check, do many of your clients that you know of have this type of insurance? No. And and even before we started our business, I've I worked at a few different firms. And there was only, when I was working at the bigger mid-tier, there was only a couple of firms, a couple of clients that had audit insurance. Okay. There was I another question. I never heard of it up until this question. I'd sit there and Google, like, what, what is this? What's going on here? 
Okay, right. So that probably says a lot of what you need to know. Uh, there was another question that came from David Hasselfroff, and it actually came through for Australian Investors Podcast. Uh, <laughs> but I thought maybe just in the interest of time, we'd be a bit quick with this one. But um, Drew and I did take a, a crack at it over on the Investors Podcast on Saturday, um, which was um, they're saying that they will be purchasing a percentage of a good friend's company, um, and it's they're buying into a holdings company, like a holding company that will buy his pre-built profitable cocktail company that does like shops and events and it has a bar that they're looking to purchase. He has some future goals to sell, acquire other hospitality businesses in the area. I understand the high risk, especially in hospo, but I also understand the opportunity. Just wondering if there are, is any questions I should ask or people I can talk to so I can make a more informed decision? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um... Number one, from like a structure point of view, I think it's already being structured quite well, especially if they're doing like a main holdings entity with multiple businesses that obviously is going to eventually buy into or eventually start up. Um, from a structure point of view, it's done quite well. My first thing I would be recommending is do a due diligence. I know it's your good friend, but have an independent party, assess all the financials, go through the documents, have a good solicitor run through leases, run through contracts it, it i would be seeing this as if it was a normal due diligence job and you were looking to to buy into any business um whether it's a good friend or not that would be my recommendation mm, i like that advice yeah yeah i second that have a get a due diligence done get a solicitor to go over all the contracts um employment contracts there's a cocktail company so there could be a legal side of things for that selling and consuming of alcohol go over all of that all the licensing mm -hmm. um so yeah two sides are, i guess accountants and then legal side of things as well i like it yeah i think they agreed with both what you said legal and uh accountant i think the other thing would probably be to have an agreement with him in place like a shareholders agreement that's very clear that mm -hmm. sets out what would happen in the future because like mixing business with pleasure isn't always or business with friends normally what survives is neither of those things so um just having a structure in place so though to say if this then that would happen or if um you wanted to sell that i would buy it at this multiple or find another buyer at this price or if you do want to sell part of your shares will i get a first right to buy that yeah. kind of thing yeah These there's got to be some type of exit strategy for either party um yeah. that's equitable sort of to everyone yeah cool i like it well if you do have any questions for next week we will be recording next week every friday we record live on the rask youtube channel you can head there we can head to the gray space website it's new and improved as we saw last week it's a very flush picture of daniel on the home screen there so you can go and check that out um he promises he's going to do a double cobra in the future on the home screen of um gray space advisory we'll Just get kidding. there we'll yeah. get there but you can actually get into contact with the guys. Uh, they're based in Sydney, but they can work with you wherever you are. There's a link in the show notes. Say good day to them. Also, there will be a link in the show notes to the course. If you're just starting your business, if you're acquiring a business, if you don't know what your plan is going forward, go and take the free course because why? It's free and there's heaps of downloads and resources there. Cool, guys. This is heaps of fun. Thanks for this and uh, see you next week. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. I think this series is best served with my free business course on RASC Education. My free course includes all of my notes, templates, employment guides, 
legal documents, marketing strategies, software recommendation, and ideas for starting and running a small business. Finally, if this podcast or the course helps you, I only ask that you please help me by sharing it with one friend, colleague, or family member who runs a business. Thanks for listening.